Hey, you're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. The podcast is brought to you by Young Clergy Network, and I got to tell you, you want to join the network for free over at youngclergy.net. When you do, you'll get free resources from us, including recordings from this past Young Clergy Con and exclusive updates and promo codes for everything that we're trying to do to connect, collaborate with, and empower young clergy. Today on the podcast, we have Reverend Jason Nike of Fresh Ground London in the UK. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Britt Bullerjack, and I'm here with my guest, Reverend Jason Nike. Jason is the pastor and manager of Fresh Ground London. Welcome to the show. Hello. Good to be on the show. So the first question I ask everybody is, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Yeah, so I was, um, my grandma was a Nazarene. Uh, I was very faithful, attended at the Ashton Church of the Nazarene, which is just outside of Manchester. And uh, although my parents went to a different church when I was growing up, I ended up at a youth group there because my cousins were there and everything when I was about 11 or 12 years old. Kind of tell me the story of your calling. How did you end up being a pastor? Um, so after being involved in the youth group and to various degrees and levels throughout my sort of teenage years, although I was still attending church when I got married, it wasn't until me and my wife were on our honeymoon uh, that we actually set aside some proper time to kind of pray together and ask for God's uh, blessing on our life and our new married life together. Yeah, it was during our honeymoon, really, that we had some pretty awesome experiences of, of God's calling. So, yeah, one thing, we, we both took our sort of daily devotionals on our honeymoon, and we were in the mountains up in up in Switzerland in this tiny little village called the Rosa. And uh, you, you'd open the curtains of our bedroom in the morning, and all you could see was this huge mountain opposite with, uh, you know, just this absolutely awesome view to, to view. So we'd sit there in the mornings on the balcony and do our daily readings together. Yeah. And uh, the funny thing was, even though we had different daily readings, they both were on the same uh, scripture that week, mm. which was the parable of the sower uh, from Matthew 13. And uh, we, thought, we thought, oh, that's a bit of a coincidence. And then as the week went on and the, the readings went on to Isaiah chapter 6, the, the sort of calling of Isaiah, if you like. And we thought, oh, I wonder if God is trying to say something to us uh, this week. And then uh, this little town we'd ended up in, we'd not actually met a single English speaker in the whole town, which is really unusual when you're traveling across Europe. Most people can speak English to a pretty good level. Uh, so all week we've been getting by with my limited German and, and the people in the hotel and various people we'd met had got by with their limited English. So one night we got sat next to this couple uh, in the hotel at dinner and we just assumed they were German speaking and they assumed that we were German speaking. So we're all trying to speak in this <laughs> stuttered German. Anyway, it turns out we're all English. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was, we were making very small talk as you do, you know, what do you do and this, that and the other. Uh, we said, oh, you know, I was at the time I was doing an English degree and Laura was doing a teaching degree. And I, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And this guy, he turns to me, very mind, I'm not told him I go to church or I'm a Christian or anything. He turns to me very seriously and says, you must do what God is calling you to do. <gasps> and I was like, wow, that's quite amazing. Anyway, it turned out that they were a retired minister and his wife who were there on holiday. And uh, over the course of that week, we had dinner with them several times. 
And he, he said, you know, he really felt God had put it on, on his heart. And he, he came down one day and said, look, I've got this scripture reading for you. It's from Isaiah chapter six. <gasps> Again, what we'd already been looking at. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, you know, it really was quite amazing. And then that week we ended up going to the, we have a Nazarene college in, in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So we went along to the Sunday service and it was um, a reunion service for all the people who'd been there in the 1980s. And the theme of the service was calling and the Bible um, passages they were using was Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. Wow. So it was really kind of like we hadn't really given God that space before, I suppose, in our relationship, just with the business of life. And when we gave him that space, it was kind of like he, he almost bombarded us. And we felt very clearly that he was calling us into some kind of ministry. So we, we came back home, spoke to our district superintendent and yeah, things kind of snowballed from there. Well, I, I love that story. Where did you go from there? What was the kind of the next step on that journey? Um, so I enrolled in a, a part-time course at Nazarene Theological College after I'd finished my English degree because uh, I was coming to the end of it. And during that time when I was looking for work as well, I, I was fortunate enough to be offered a, a youth workers or associate pastor role in a church in Manchester as well. So along with having a baby during that year as well, uh, and Laura finishing her teaching degree and everything, I embarked on course of study at Nazarene Theological College and was also really fortunate to get a job in ministry uh, that was helping us uh, with, well, it was just a really good way to do it, actually, to be in ministry alongside doing theological studies so that nothing became too kind of disconnected from uh, real-life ministry situations. Yeah. So how did you end up at Fresh Ground London? My wife's uh, father had been a Nazarene pastor in London in actually a church that's about a half a mile from Fresh Ground, where Fresh Ground is now. So we were already quite familiar with the area and we had some good contacts down in London and, you know, were sensing that London might be a place we'd end up someday, sometime, somehow. And um, the, the Nazarene region at the time were looking to do what was called the London Initiative uh, they had some funding from the global church, and it was kind of an idea. It kind of came from this thing called Thrust of the Cities, which was something way back in the 90s where the Nazarene church wanted to re emphasize ministry in major sort of global areas and cities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And this London initiative was an offshoot of that. Some funding had been kept aside, and regional directors had kind of protected it. Uh, so we were sort of at the very tail end of what was the London, London initiative, and the district superintendent at the time said you know what with your contacts in the area and stuff is this something you would be interested in we've got a uh, an elderly church congregation and a elderly building if that's the right term for it (laughs) and in a really good location that something could be done with and you guys know the know the the area and uh, um, in conversation really with the district superintendent district advisory board that's how we ended up um, in London yeah and previous to that we'd also done a coffee house ministry in Ashton in my home church for a year. Mm. Um, so I'd had sort of three or four years of ministry under under my belt, if you like, as associate pastor in two churches and had done coffee house ministry and, uh, yeah, associate pastor stuff. What was that transition like from your associate ministry to then being in charge of something, a lead pastor of somewhere? Uh, I mean, I don't think it was very atypical whatsoever so firstly in the Nazarene church you, you ordinarily are appointed by a church a local church rather than in this case we were sort of parachuted in from the district if you like so we were appointed by the district 
to do something specifically new rather than just pastor a church. Um, and although, like looking back, I think, um, although the church had been involved in several meetings beforehand and they knew that we were coming to do something new and it wasn't just to maintain an existing ministry, I think the reality of that hadn't really hit home until we came. Mm. Uh, so it was quite, quite, quite tricky as well. We came just two weeks after the previous minister had uh, retired and, and sort of left the role. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so it was quite a quite an uneasy transition in some ways, coming into a, a, a very traditional, although small church, and me being 25 at the time and full of energy and new ideas. Um, yeah, th- it was a slight culture clash in some ways. So kind of tell me about those early beginnings. What was it like there? Uh, yeah, so... Um, as I said, the previous pastor had left two weeks uh, before we came, and right. along when when he left, about half the church had decided to leave as well. There were people who were um, largely in their seventies and eighties who didn't live in the community of the church any longer. Mm. So we're kind of looking for the right time to leave anyway and mm. to worship locally. So when we arrived, there was maybe around ten people left in the congregation. Uh, again majoritively in their 70s and 80s, uh, Afro-Caribbean, apart from one or two. And, yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was a church that would, had been in decline for about 50 years. Uh, so it used to have been one of the thriving churches on the district and had this wonderful heritage. You know, it was a church that had sent missionaries out. And if you looked at across our district and the, the, the north district up in Scotland, there was lots of, uh, big name Nazarenes who'd uh, attended the church back in its back in its more prosperous times, if you like. So it was a church with a wonderful heritage, but it was was now really struggling, mm. and uh, the building itself was falling around in various ways, uh, fall, falling to pieces in various ways, and not structurally sound. And um, it was tired, I suppose. Everyone there was tired, and the building was tired, and you know they hadn't had signs of new life for a long, long time. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, it was an interesting situation to bring a young, a young family into. So there's no children in it. Where did you start? I know you, you kind of did some uh, innovative things even at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. So after several months of being there, we launched um, like a breakfast church service, which was a very informal gathering. We had a breakfast buffet laid out. And rather than people sitting in rows, everyone was sat around tables and it was more discussion-based. And we'd get lots of visiting speakers in, but these weren't like, Christian ministers or people who were used to speaking. There were people, Christians from everyday walks of life who would come in and share their testimony of how God had worked through them in their, in their careers or mm. in what they were doing. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really, it was very relaxed, but actually something you could easily invite people along to. So right from the launch of Breakfast Church, we'd invited six or seven new families who started to come week by week. Uh, so it was really amazing to sort of see this, just this slight, slight, change of format and and thought of how you do church being quite attractive to people in the area and suddenly we went from just having our own two children to having like about 10 children which was just lovely for us to see because then they uh they were able to make friends and yeah some of those people are still with us to this day which is fantastic that's awesome did you always have a vision for fresh ground to be what it is now um i think we'd with having done a coffee house ministry attached to a church up in Manchester previously, 
even before we came, we knew the location would be suited to something similar, you know. Um, so I think we always had a coffee shop element in mind. And then really from moving into the area, the other thing we realized that was completely lacking was community spaces. So there's lots of groups wanting to do various activities uh, in the community, uh, many creative different things from yoga to drama to table tennis, all sorts of things, but they're just very little space. You know, London is limited on space and all the places around about that had community spaces were fully booked with a waiting list as long as you're, as long as you're armed. So it very quickly, very quickly became clear to us that if we could redevelop our building in such a way where you could have community spaces and kind of a cafe space that was drawing all those people together, uh, that that would be something we felt God was leading us to, to create, if you like. So yeah, right from the early days to how we are now, I don't think the vision or the usage of the space has changed all that much. You know, it's how did you get from coming in and doing breakfast church to the kind of process of where you're at now? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, breakfast church was a great start and it gave us an original core group of people who we started doing kind of cell group church within discipleship. And most of these people, I might add, weren't, weren't Christians. So they were just exploring faith and, and, uh, what have you. Um, so alongside this, the sort of tension between the sort of traditional congregation and these new guys we were working with came quite apparent. So, um, the actual, the old church, as it was known called Thomas Memorial was actually closed by the district, um, back in 2011. And alongside that, we were having people come builders and architects and people coming in and looking at the space to sort of give us ideas of how we could redevelop the, uh, the building. Um, and what we were told during that period was that if it hadn't been already, the building should have been condemned uh, for public usage. So wow. it was a it was a kind of um, you know the building dates back from 1823. Oh man! And uh, yeah, it was in quite quite a bad condition. So we kind of knew that whatever needs to be done to the building wasn't just a a, a lick of paint or you know. The odd, the odd wall change and anything like that. It was actually full-scale renovation that was needed because the structure of the building wasn't sound. Mm. Um, so fairly early, fairly early on in that process, we realized this was going to uh, be a big renovation job, you know, expensive and timely. And there were lots of unknowns. Uh, for building at that age, you know, you never know, you never quite know what you're dealing with. Right. Um, so, yeah, very early on, architects were quite honest in their assessment of the building and how much it would cost to redevelop. And we knew we'd have to do, be very creative in how we went about finding finance for that and what have you. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a very interesting process and we'd been to visit, um, a church over in East London called the tab center, which similarly was a, an, an old building that had been reconverted into a multi-use community center and church and, didn't have a cafe, I might add. But um, I remember speaking to the minister of that church and she said, oh, the, the building took seven years to redevelop from sort of initial phases to opening. And uh, at the time I thought, oh, it'll, it'll never take us that long. But uh, yeah, through the ups and downs, um, we got there after about seven years. So oh, wow. it, was actually, it was actually quite an accurate <laughs> representation of... Uh, <laughs> how long these kind of projects can take, I suppose. So tell me about your 
strategies for leading a church through a time of construction like that? Because I'm assuming you probably couldn't meet in the building that often. Um, so what what was church like during those seven years? I mean, mostly it was really, really nice, actually. We um, we did have use of another church building for when we needed it for larger events. So we had a wedding and christenings and things like that. Uh, but mostly we were able to meet in our house as a kind of a house church, really. And and through that, we were able to disciple people and several people came to faith. And it was a very young church with lots of children and, and stuff. And uh, yeah, on the whole, it was a really pleasant experience. I mean, it wasn't perhaps an easy, in that kind of house church setting, it wasn't necessarily an easy church to grow numerically, but actually to bond a core group with ideals and practices and, you know, good kingdom theology it was fantastic and uh it became a real close tight-knit family uh throughout those years so yeah we were we were to all intents and purposes a quite a healthy little uh house church and a a family who looked after each other and Mm. uh that set some really good patterns i think for how we want ministry to be now we're in a bigger space and with different opportunities Uh, Mm. i think we don't we don't want to lose that family feeling and you know that kind of Church uh, was very much um, not about the Sunday service, although Sundays were really important and a great time of celebration. But actually, as a church, we'd see each other several times throughout the week. We had some home groups and, you know, just the way people interacted with each other and helped each other out and, you know, looked after each other's children and cooked each other meals and looked after each other was just something that we, you know, it wasn't a strategy as such. But it's definitely something now we don't want to lose either as we mm. as we grow as we grow as a church and as a community. Mm. We want that family feeling to remain and, and to be part of who we are. Well one thing we had a there's a young lady in the church, I won't I won't mention her name in case she gets a bit embarrassed. Sure. But um like we were never quite we were never quite she didn't have what you might call a, a crisis moment in her conversion story or or a particular date you could pin down you know like some christians have this well, i remember 18th of april 1955 when the lord said she didn't have that kind of crisis moment as such she'd been coming along to our church services and to our cell groups and we've been doing life together as you say and then one day she just sort of came out i want to be baptized now, I hadn't even done a lot of teaching on baptism at that point or anything, but she wanted to be baptized and we were able to talk about that. And then I was saying, well, we could go down to the local Baptist church. You know, they've got a Baptist tank we could use. And she says, no, 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 uh, I want to be baptized in a river because of the imagery of living waters rushing over me. And, you know, she'd heard something about people in India being baptized in a river and all these kind of things. And... I don't even know anything about London, but the River Thames is our main river, and it's filthy. <laughs> and there wouldn't be an easy spot to um, to baptise someone. So we found another river out in a place called Croydon called Box Hill. Uh, it's the River Mole. And uh, we arranged for people in the church who had cars not, uh, and for some others from another church to help us with transport. And everyone got together. They all brought food, and we had this lovely day out on Box Hill at River Mole. Mm. and uh, we all sat by the river and it was a really lovely kind of scene as as we went to baptize this young lady in the river there was just lots of people members of the public walking past and then just as we we're about to baptize this huge troop of uh, army guys on their training came running down the river you know in full military gear doing whatever exercise they were doing <laughs> so we had to we had to stop baptizing for a moment and then 
we baptised this young lady. And as we did it, her daughter screamed, no, and ran into the river to try and save her mum. <laughs> she thought we were trying to do something that we weren't trying to do. Um, but yeah, I just remember that day as being, you know, the sun was shining lovely and um, everyone was on the beach enjoying food and just having, I suppose, what you call great fellowship together. And it just kind of, it was lovely because it was nothing I'd seen in church before in my upbringing. And it, it was just lovely to have a day out and to do some, to bring someone in officially into the faith, if you like, and to do it in this setting that was so unusual. And uh, yeah, I, I think that was, that was probably one of the highlights of my ministry uh, in those, in those early years at Fresh Ground. It's beautiful. So tell me about, about pastoring through transition, because you have this beautiful house church kind of movement, creating a core group that are like family to each other. How do you transition from that to kind of where, where you're at now? And what are the differences maybe between pastoring that congregation and, and pastoring that congregation now? Yeah, so I mean, it's been a it's been a huge transition for our church, I think, for our little for our core group family, if you like. So we opened the we, we were able to reopen the church building and the cafe and community centres and hall spaces uh, back in June. You know, really right from the get go, we were we were getting pretty full as a as a building. Um, you know, the hall spaces were full up, and the cafe was lots and lots of customers and people from the community using the cafe. So I'd say right from like now we have around about 2000 people a week, um, in our building for wow. one thing or another. Uh, but right from the beginning, there was at least over a thousand. So suddenly you had this huge amount of activity happening almost overnight. And, you know, I'm managing the cafe and then to bring a house church into that setting was actually quite difficult. Mm. You know, because we used to all sitting around on the couch and being in a lounge, and suddenly we got this big space that we don't quite fit in, in in a way. Yeah. You know, if, do we go in the main hall where where we feel like a very small group, or do we meet in the cafe uh, where you know the dynamics of setting up projectors and instruments and things is quite difficult? Mm. Uh, so yeah, for, I think for a few weeks we sort of experimented with how we would set up our church and what we'd feel comfortable with. And plus, just uh, people getting used, people in the church getting used to being part of something that was much bigger than we had been, mm. as well. Um, I'd say that was a really challenge, challenging transition, really. And we're still working through some of those things. Yeah. So talk to me about this first. I mean, I guess the coffee shop's been open for uh, eight months, maybe. Yep. Um, at this point, so kind of tell me about the journey of the the church and the coffee shop ministry. I know you brought on a, another person to help with um, everything happening. So. Yeah. So one, one thing I kind of not anticipated was that um, managing a coffee shop is actually more than a full time job in in so many in so many ways. One thing that we had been a little bit disappointed about is we'd wanted to employ a mixture of Christian and non Christian staff and have volunteers. But for for various reasons, uh, we've not been able to do that. So apart from myself, who's the manager, um, the staff we have at the coffee, coffee shop, though lovely people and very on board with our ethos, I don't think they would d- describe themselves as um, being Christian. Right. Um, so I felt it was very important I stayed on as manager to, to make sure we didn't just become a coffee shop. Right. You know, it was very important that, what we do in, in the coffee shop is also ministry. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I just hadn't anticipated, I suppose, how full time that would be, which meant that all these lovely ideas we had about linking community and church and you know preparing services for Sunday that was kind of pushed to the pushed to the back because practically we had a a coffee shop to open and you know staff to pay and all these kind of things yeah and we had all these amazing community spaces that were being used and yeah so we really were feeling the um the need for another member of the pastoral team to join and we were very fortunate we were approached by a young pastor called Michelle who'd been pastoring as part of a church plant up in Manchester and before she um, pastored at one of our churches in Scotland Parkhead, which is quite a forward-thinking and innovative church. So she joined the team in in October and uh, since then has really kind of helped us focus specifically on ministry and community engagement. So we have it's like we have a community that meets in the church every week that we can minister to. You know, I, I fully endorse the idea that, you know, the church isn't the building or, you know, we need to get out of the building to minister to the community. But in, in our case, we have a, a whole raft of communities and people using our space already who we're able to minister to. And Michelle's really sort of helped us refocus and be a bit more strategic, I suppose, in actually reaching the people we already have amongst us and the people we're already building relationships with. So we continue to meet on Sundays as a as a as a core group and as a church, and uh, our strategy our strategy, if you like, at the moment is to really concentrate on in, inviting the people who we've already got those relationships with to special events and special services. So we had like a Christmas carol service uh, at the end of December, as I know most churches do, and we just kind of really made the effort to invite all the people who use in the building, and it was just fantastic to see. We had about. 100 people who use our building for various things come into the carol service and, and wow. worship with us and uh yeah it's been it's just been really good and lots lots and lots of um good conversations with people and people wanting to know about god and wanting to know about us as a church and who we are and likewise us wanting to know all about them as well so yeah so we've got pancake day coming up we're having a big pancake day event and mother's day and then easter and really i think it'll be on the back of these things that we'll start seeing people come to church and people come to faith and so yeah it's beautiful what is what is a typical week like at fresh ground london tell me what's happening there okay so uh, the cafe is open monday through saturday uh, from sort of early in the morning till six o'clock in the evening and then every day we have a, a stay and play uh, so we have around 40 mums and children come in every day of the week a lady from the church, her mum her mum runs the stay and play. They come in through the cafe, they get their baby chinos and hot chocolates and <laughs> lattes and they go through into the into the into the playroom. And it's really nice because the way the building's set up, you've got the cafe at the front and then you've got some a big glass divider and it's and then it's on the other side they have the the playroom if you like. Mm. Uh, and it's really nice because it's soundproof. Oh. So you've got <laughs> so you've got the cafe and all the ordinary customers and people coming in, and then you've just got this great visual link to see all the mums and the children. But <laughs> mercifully, you can't hear <laughs> what's going on. And then we have two, uh, three other spaces uh, throughout the building as well. So our most days there being used for different activities, from Pilates to drama. Uh, we actually have a, a therapy room now at the church as well. So we have an osteopath working there and a, ther- and a physiotherapist. And um, everyone's kind of very much on board with this idea that we're actually uh, fostering and creating healthy community. 
and so we with most of the groups that are using the space you know they're offering discounted places or free places to to people who uh, would otherwise struggle to to attend um the osteopath is running several days for children and young people free of charge and and things like this um so yeah it's really nice and when we've kind of part of the rental agreement with the different groups who use the building we do spend time with them talking about how we can include them in what we're doing as community and how they can sort of embody our ethos as well and that's mm. that's gone that's gone really well so we've had a few evenings in the cafe where we've just invited all the people who rent the building along for coffee and they've come along and we've shared different ideas about how we can cooperate and work together and uh, be inclusive i suppose and uh, yeah it's been it's been really nice to see that people aren't just using the space in just as a space to use but actually they're passionate about wanting to to bring something to this community and help us to build healthy relationships and healthy people mm. so i'm wondering if you could just like tell us a few stories about um how you see god at work through fresh ground london what you see happening yeah um so one thing we started uh oh, this might be too much for some people but we, we started uh, having salsa classes <laughs> on a on a tuesday evening you know if you know me at all you know that dancing is not kind of my scene right uh, not because i'm a good old nazarene but just because i'm very uncoordinated <laughs> so um michelle our, our associate um loves to dance and loves salsa so she's been going along on a tuesday and she actually helped set up this group um with a salsa teacher who she was already going to salsa classes with and the amount of conversations she's got into with that group in particular from going along has, has been phenomenal so mm. one of the guys uh, couldn't make it you know he'd hurt his ankle and he'd text michelle and said oh can you can you pray for my ankle um you know and just little things like that have been really nice and then other people because people aren't maybe necessarily they're not fully aware they're coming into a church building initially right so it's kind of like people come in they see the coffee shop it's it's fairly typical trendy uh, coffee spot but then they see the stay and play going on the other side they see all the other activities and they kind of then will ask oh what is this place because they know it's a bit different to anything they've seen before i suppose sure and then that really just opens up the way to say oh well this is you know it's it's a church it's all owned and operated by the church and we're sort of passionate about serving our community in, in whatever ways we can and just through that there's been so many of those little conversations that have really opened people up and people asking for for prayer you know like we had someone ask for prayer for their dog who wasn't well oh. um people asking you know uh, telling us about their experience of faith growing up mm. and yeah, it's kind of it's kind of really, really nice to see, especially those people who maybe got a very negative uh, opinion or experience of church, to sort of see them see that we're doing something a bit different and something that isn't isn't just about us boosting our figures for a Sunday service, but actually is, is a, us about, about us caring uh, for our community. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's a real kind of openness, I think, of people towards hearing about spiritual things and hearing about Christian things that is just wonderful to see and it's, it's been a fantastic experience really we had a we had a away day with all the staff from our cafe mm. and uh, all the people from the church where we talked about our ethos and mission statement and how we can embody this as a in the cafe and through the community spaces and uh, as part of that we did i don't know if you've heard of this love languages 
there's a way we all respond. You know, some people love getting gifts, and some people love quality time, and some people love acts of service. And, mm-hmm. and we got we, we got we got all the staff to do the love languages and all the people in the church, just so we could have an understanding of how each other kind of ticked, if you if you like, how we how we operated. Yeah. And just some of the conversations from that uh, between our church folk and between the cafe staff and with a cleaner and a building manager uh, was just really revealing to see how people understood each other and how people related to each other. And we just had this fantastic day where we spent all day brainstorming about how we could be a a more inclusive community. You know, our mission statement is uh, we wanted to create create an enriched community through faith, friendship and compassion. Mm. So how we could do that uh, using the cafe space and having events and all these kind of things. And it was just really lovely to see, you know, people really open up and kind of be vulnerable, I suppose. We've got our, our building manager, Steve, who's a, a big burly guy from London. And uh, it turned out, and this wasn't in a romantic way, but it turned out that his love language is physical touch. Mm. And Steve says, nah, I would never, ever approach anyone and ask for a hug. But actually, I really love getting a hug. <laughs> you know, just to hear him say that, you know, and to, you know, enough. Since then, I know it's noticed some of the staff have been going up and giving Steve a big hug, you know. And um, and another one of our guys, Antonio, he's uh, one of our baristas. He's from Italy, and he just he he finds London like a lot of people do. He finds it a very lonely place to live, even though it's full of people. He, mm. He's actually been quite lonely here, mm. and he's and he was able to share this on the open day, uh, you know. And since then, it's been nice to see other members of staff and other people in the church invite him out for a meal, for example, Aww. and. Uh, yeah, and just for him to to hear people like that say they 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 feel like they've found a family at Fresh Ground is just very very encouraging. Yeah, we we just see God at work in so many ways uh, in and through all these interactions. It's beautiful. What what has surprised you most about the way things have all come together? Like what is happening right now that you would never have envisioned? Um. I think actually seeing a vision come to fruition, mm. if that makes sense. Like, you know, there was, I think there was many, many points along the process where we, it, I think in my humanness, if you like, I really didn't always have the faith that what we'd envisioned would ever come together. Yeah. You know, to have this coffee shop that would actually be used by the public and to have all the spaces used by so many different groups and, and to see the building uh, living and thriving in the way that it is, full of life and uh, just teeming with love and laughter and all these things. And and I think sometimes uh, we have the vision. Yeah, I think seeing it coming into into fruition has been quite surprising in lots of senses. You know, I sometimes come down before we open the cafe in the morning and the croissants have just arrived and the coffee machine has just been put on. I'll, I'll look around and think about who's going to be in the space that day and actually not knowing is brilliant, you know, not knowing what conversations and who's going to come in and, uh, but anticipating that it's going to be something special. Yeah. So I just stand there and sometimes can't believe it. I mean, I'm in awe of what God has done and, and what he continues to do. And I just suppose seeing, seeing a vision you felt we really felt God had given happen has been the most surprising thing. And I don't know if that speaks poorly of my own, faith uh but i'm 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 more than happy to say that my faith even though small has uh been exceeded by what god has done and what he continues to do yeah 
what kind of advice would you give to someone who is maybe young in their ministry and feels a call to a big project that could take a long time? What advice would you give them or what would you tell them? I mean, I'd, I'd say the most important thing is, like I, before before doing this project, for example, I'd never put up a shelf. You know, my, I wasn't a DIY person. Right. Uh, and yet I, I went on to be the building manager of this mammoth project eventually and do all these things that, I, you know, I'm not actually trained or skilled to do. Mm. But actually what's kind of the key, the key thing is just to have that, to be assured that this is what God is calling you to do, I think, because it's not in our own strength and it's definitely not something we can do lightly either. You know, oh, I just want to do a project, do something big. Uh, You know, it's got to be something you really feel that God is calling you to. Mm. And yeah, that would be the, that would be the first thing really, you know, make sure that the vision, (laughs) make sure that vision you have is from, from the Lord. Mm. And not from not just from your own self, because I think there's so many points along the way where it's actually God's calling and God's vision that sustained us and saw us through. Um, yeah, just in, in in our own strength, we'd never have made it um, mm. in any sense. But yeah, on this on the kind of practical side as well, surround yourself with surround yourself with as many people who do know what they're doing in the field that you're working in. So if it's a construction project get good references, surround yourself with good people who have got good projects under their belt. Um, don't just go for the cheapest option. <laughs> um, you know, because someone in the church many years ago may have done a little bit of woodwork doesn't necessarily mean that they're the most qualified person to <laughs> come and undertake your uh, groundworks, for example. I don't know. Sure, sure. Just uh, surround yourself with people who do know what they're doing and you know, like hopefully your mum, always, your mum and dad always tell you, get three quotes before you go with one and, yeah. you know, try and be wise in a lot of those things as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, surround yourself with good people who do know know, know what they're doing. I was just going to ask if you have any specific visions, things that you are looking forward to for the future of Fresh Ground. You know, ultimately, we don't want to, to be just a coffee shop or a community centre. We actually do want to connect people to God yeah. and to have a vibrant and living faith. And it really feels like we're approaching a, a second wave, if you like, at Fresh Ground. We've got the facility, we've got the building being really well used. It's got a good reputation in the local area. So, yeah, we just really want to build a very healthy faith family, if you like, yeah. over these next coming months and years. And one that is... Yeah, just is a real reflection of the community where where the church is. So yeah, London is a you know, it's a very fast paced uh, place to live, as we already t- touched upon the the loneliness issue. Mm. The government the government's even started a, a loneliness think tank because of the amount of suicides that are happening and wow. mental health problems that are happening because of loneliness. Mm. So actually, we really want to be a place that is enabled to enrich people's lives in in a way that it's bringing them together with other people Mm. and it is creating that authentic uh, relationships and family experiences. So yeah, just really uh, hoping and praying that uh, God is able to use us to, to draw people into 
into a family and ultimately into into his family. Mm. Um, we'd like to very much continue, like, like our, even our core group, even though it's not huge, it's very diverse. So diverse cultures, diverse backgrounds. Um, we've got a, a former Muslim uh, family in the church and uh, a, a mixture of races and there's a French lady and, you know, it's, it's very reflective of the community we're in. We're not, we're in an extremely diverse community. Mm. Uh, and I would just love to see that diversity continue as we grow. Mm. And we are sort of on the border between uh, an extremely affluent area and uh, also an area of extreme poverty as well. Mm. So what, a, what we've seen in the building and all the different usages is that actually there's a real mixture of people from all sides of that sort of social divide coming into this space and enriching each other and we'd like to see that in the church as well and not just to be one type of group you know mm-hmm. we want to see see that diversity and encourage it wherever we can yeah well you know the last question i ask everybody is um what inspires you to stay in the church of the nazarene what is it that's keeping you here well i, I think the nazarene church is is my family and you know families maybe have different tensions at various times and they don't always agree on everything but wherever I've been in the world where it's been at conferences in America or uh, you know we were lucky enough to have a holiday in Barbados which is like little Nazarene land uh, wherever I met Nazarenes I really felt a familial connection mm-hmm. and um, you know the church has really cared for me in so many ways and we've had lots of uh, support through it uh, throughout the years and you know meeting people like yourselves even and the different programs we have, our, our commitment to, to the least and the lost is something yeah. that inspires me. And I'm, yeah, I'm very hopeful. Um, I see a, a whole generation of younger Nazarene clergy and, and others who are just thinking in more innovative and out-of-the-box ways, which I find very hopeful for the future of the church as well. So if somebody wanted to ask you a question about coffee shop ministry or running a business and a ministry at the same time or anything that you've talked about, uh, how can they reach you? Uh, the easiest way to reach us is if you go on our website, which is freshgroundlondon.com. And on that, we have a contact inquiry form. So anything you write on there, we'll get back to myself or to Michelle, our associate pastor, or to Steve, our building manager. And feel free to get in touch with us that way. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and Fresh Brown London. You can find us uh, by tapping that in on any of those platforms. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. That's been great.